gathered together today because we serve a God who, who loves us and who gives us reason to come together as his people. Dr. Harlan, thank you so much for using the gifts that God has entrusted to you to serve his name. And thank you for your time today in gathering with the church known as Meadowbrook uh, to worship a risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So to, today we're together in the name of Christ and we want to hear from Christ so let me invite you to open the scriptures with me today to the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 25 this morning, as we look at God's Word, Matthew, of course, the first book of the New Testament, maybe uh, three-fourths or so the way through all of uh, the completed copy of God's Word, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew chapter 25. We'll look at the words of Jesus, beginning in verse 31. So as you find your place there in Matthew's Gospel, uh, let me encourage you to Uh, Join as we often do and join me standing for the reading of God's Word. Matthew 25, beginning in verse 31. Jesus said, When the Son of Man, a reference to Himself, when the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep, From the goats, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? In verse 40, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they also will answer, Lord, When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we believe in you and we believe in your word. Lord, help us now. We've gathered this morning in the name of Christ to be led by your spirit and rightly understanding the truths of your word and applying them to our lives as your people today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The church, you may be seated. I must confess, when I uh, selected this passage and came to this passage for today, um, I did sort of what you're not supposed to do. Uh, I came with a preconceived idea and plans. And the danger in doing so is then to impose something on the text that may or may not uh, be there. Uh, And as I studied this passage of Scripture and as I prayed over it, I uh, was redirected 
and directed by the Lord uh, and, uh, and came away realizing that the truths that Jesus teaches here are far richer than I first gave him credit for. And no doubt the Bible does teach that God is a helper. He is a provider for the needy. He is a deliverer. He is a refuge. In fact, this morning I read Psalm 14 and was reminded there in Psalm 14 that God is a refuge for the needy. He's a refuge uh, for the poor. But the primary call of this particular text uh, is not a general call to humanitarian aid. Uh, The primary call here is for believers to display their love for Christ by serving Christ's people, by serving the people of God. In fact, the scriptures teach that uh, Jesus will have two advents. We celebrate two advents or two comings of Jesus. We celebrate the first advent between Thanksgiving and Christmas every year as we remember the fact that uh, Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth in human flesh. And now we anticipate the second advent. Anticipate a second coming of Jesus when King Jesus will will come. He will return and usher in the fullness of His eternal kingdom. And here in the Scriptures, I believe Jesus teaches us that He will soon come and separate His followers from the rest of the world. King Jesus will soon come and separate His followers from the rest of uh, the world. I use the word soon intentionally because that's the way that Scripture describes this event. Soon, it could be today, it could be uh, in thousands of years, but in the grand scheme of eternity, it is soon. In the eyes of God, it is soon. In the minds and lives and actions of His people, we ought to live as if it is soon. Jesus will come and separate His followers from the rest of the world, and Jesus is King. He's a King and a Judge. And He is a King unlike every other King. He is the King of Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 who rules and reigns over all, the one whose kingdom will never end. And he is not just a son of man, a reference to his humanity, but he is the son of man, the most significant man to ever live and walk on this earth. And according to Jesus, his father, God the Father, has an inheritance, a heavenly inheritance, awaiting his people. An inheritance, verse 34, that that God the Father planned to give His people since the creation of the world. Jesus says one day at His return, all people will be divided between sheep and goats. Using a familiar image of His day, for shepherds in ancient Palestine often separated sheep and goats for the night. And here Jesus says, likewise, one day He will come and His people will be separated from the rest of the world. Who then are His people? Who are the people of Jesus and and how can we become one of His? He teaches us here that God will bless those who love and welcome Jesus' people. I believe that Jesus is teaching here through this story, through this uh, pericope, that that God will bless those who love and welcome Jesus' people. Now, we don't talk like that very often, but you know who Jesus' people are. They are His representatives. They are those who put their faith in Him, those who trust in Him, those who carry out His mission and His ministry. They are His representatives. They are those who have received the gift of the gospel and thereby serve other believers in His name. Verse 40, Jesus said, The King will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers 
and sisters of mine you did for me. Now, no doubt there are places in the Bible where certain truths seem to be at odds with each other. There seems to be tension in the text of God's Word. But the Bible's own best interpreter is the Bible itself. And the Bible never truly contradicts itself. Sure, there is tension between God's sovereignty and our responsibility. There is tension between grace and law. There is tension between faith and works. But any time that we think the Bible contradicts itself, then we need to dig a little deeper because we have not understand, understood the fullness of the story in faith. The Bible is one unified storybook whose central theme is God saving a people for Himself, ultimately through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So on the surface, a passage such as the one we're looking at this morning may seem to indicate that good works are the pathway to salvation. But we know that's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, the Bible clearly teaches that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Salvation, a reconciled relationship with God, uh, the forgiveness of sins, eternal life, is by grace alone. It is unearned, unmerited kindness and favor from God. Through faith alone. It's received in faith in Christ alone. Verse 34, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. The idea of blessed here. Blessed by my Father. This is not a blessing based upon good works. This is a gift, undeserved, unearned, that God has prepared for those who turn to Jesus. Jesus is clear that in God's kingdom, there are only sheep and goats. There are no hybrids. There are no uh, geep or shoats. Only sheep and goats. All are either His or not. Like the Scriptures teach, I believe, that all of us at one time lived as if we were not part of His kingdom. We lived under lesser, false kingdoms. Uh, the kingdom of, of Chris. The kingdom of Margaret, the kingdom of Toxie, the kingdom of Benjamin. We all lived under false kingdoms at one time. Perhaps some still do, as if we were truly in charge, gratifying our own nature, living for ourselves. And yet, even so, God, who is rich in mercy, invites us, despite our sin, to be welcomed into His family, to become part of his kingdom, to surrender to Him and to know Him. And for those who receive such a gift, those who truly recognize it here and receive it here, they're then compelled to serve others in His name. You see, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And then those who are saved serve God's people in need. The saved serve God's people in need. Notice that in this particular story, the righteous, those who, uh, who have been given the moral perfection of Jesus, those who are regarded by God with the innocence of Christ, uh, the righteous are unaware of these good deeds they've done. Verse 37, the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? 
In other words, they're not keeping a record of it. Because they know that their efforts, their kind deeds are not to earn God's favor. They're not for God's favor. They're not the way of salvation. They're describing something. They're evidence of something that is already there. See, the reason that Jesus gives for these sheep entering into His kingdom, the life of serving other believers in need, this is not causative. This is not why they are there. It's evidential. It's describing a transformation that has already taken place in their lives. Those who know Christ serve ultimately because Jesus has served us. 1 John chapter 3, verses 16-18. through 18, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So church, as we consider what that might look like for us as we consider ways that we might love and serve other believers with in action and in truth let me invite you to uh, watch a short film uh, about such an opportunity five years old, my dad broke his leg and he couldn't work. We didn't have money for food. I was very scared. Near our home, bad people would be out at night and there was always trash everywhere. I felt like no one cared about me and I didn't matter. When I was nine, one of my neighbors told me about compassion. I didn't know what it was about, but I liked it because I received a lot of help. I was fed there at the church, and I learned how to take care of myself. I learned that I was special and that God loved me and that He had a plan for my life. And I learned that I could ask Jesus into my heart, and when I did, I was so happy. I was waiting to get a letter from my sponsor, and when it finally came, I felt very happy and special. They were very loving in their letters. They loved me so much, even though we never met in person. At 15, I remember being so thankful for my sponsors and everything they did for me. I will remember them until the last day of my life. Without their help, my life would be so different. All I can say is thank you for so much love that showed me God's love. Now I know I have value and I know I have a future. 
My name is Silda. This is my story. Release a child from poverty in Jesus' name. A child is waiting for you. Church, today we join with many other churches in highlighting the ministry of Compassion International, Christ-centered child-focused, church-based ministry that seeks to invest in children, releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. Uh, recently, I shared with uh, you that I had opportunity to travel to Dominican Republic with a group of pastors and visit a couple uh, compassion sites, uh, child ministry centers that were part of a local church, as well as visit a couple homes of children who were sponsored through Compassion's ministry and I want you, church, to know that these, these kids are real. And their poverty is real. Their need is real. And when we invest in a ministry like this, when we invest in compassion and other similar ministries, particularly compassion because I'm more aware of it at this time, then we are serving other believers in the name of Christ because we are coming alongside pastors and local churches and allowing them to reach these children and families in their community with the gospel of Jesus Christ, allowing them to, f- to feed the hungry, uh, to clothe the poor, and most importantly, allowing them to extend the message of the gospel uh, through various ministries in a way that is transforming lives around the name of Jesus. So church, would you, would you pray about possibly stopping by one of these tables today that you've seen, up, uh, seen set up in the lobby? We have a hundred, or we had a hundred, some of them are, are gone now, praise the Lord. We had a hundred uh, child packet profiles available for us today as a church. These are the only profiles for these particular kids. And so, if they're going to be sponsored today, the only place that they would be sponsored today is, is right here by us. Would you pray about investing in the least of these in Honduras or the Dominican Republic or Ecuador uh, places that either uh, we as a church are already investing and, and, and partnered with in various ministries or uh, places that we hope to in the near future. Church, this is on the screen. This is Alexandra. This is her packet right here. And Alexandra, as you can see, is uh, born in October 2011, and she lives in Ecuador on the plains of, of Ecuador. And earlier this week, I was talking to Kinsley, my, my oldest child, my daughter, and Kinsley said, we've got to sponsor a girl uh, because uh, my second brother is on the way and I'm going to be outnumbered. And so, praise the Lord, we were able to find a, a little girl that is about her age and invest in her and partner with a local church in, in meeting her needs and extending the message of, of the gospel. Just last summer, we had a team of students go to the Dominican and engage in ministry. You see a couple pictures here of, of them meeting uh, a compassion kid, Juan, that they sponsor as a group 
through proceeds in the youth cafe from drink and snack purchases. And so this is an opportunity down the road in the future as the Lord leads, opportunities to go and to meet these children who very much become part of their sponsors' lives. So I've had opportunity to, to travel to Honduras and recently to Dominican. By God's grace, I hope one day to travel to Ecuador and, and to meet Alexandra. And church, I want you to know I, I would love to, for many of you to, to go with me to visit perhaps the child that you're sponsoring and even beyond that to come alongside a local church and pastor and serve them for several days and invest in their call to extend the gospel right where the Lord has them. So the scriptures teach, Jesus teaches right here that, that God will bless those who love and welcome Jesus' people, but God will judge those who reject his people, who reject his people. Verses 41 and following, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. And he goes on and they also will answer, verse 44, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? Or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you. And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. I don't at all want to presume uh, that the Lord is calling all of us to sponsor children today through compassion. Perhaps you're invested in a similar ministry elsewhere. But all of us, no doubt, are called if we follow Christ, to love and to welcome and to serve other believers in Jesus, especially the least of these. In fact, Jesus commissioned his followers. We read recently in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 11, he commissioned his disciples. He sent them out to preach and proclaim the good news and to heal the sick. And he told them, Mark chapter 6, verse 11, and if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Sound like strong words from, from Jesus, but to reject Jesus' followers is to reject him. There is no room for hypocrisy in the kingdom of God. These say, Lord, we, when did we see you? We didn't, we didn't see you in need. If, if we knew it was you, we would have helped you. If you just would have told us what you require of us, we, surely we would have done it. That misses the point. This is not an effort to earn God's approval. It's simply an overflow of hearts that have already been dealt with in the compassion, by the compassion of, of God. The gospel is not about earning God's favor, but about receiving a gift that transforms our hearts. For God looks at the heart. Church, God looks at the heart. Remember the story of, of Samuel going to anoint the next king of Israel. and travels to, to Bethlehem, to the house of, of Jesse, for the Lord leads him there. And upon arrival, he sees one of Jesse's sons. He sees Eliab, and he thinks to himself, surely this guy, this looks like a a fitting character to be king. He's got a kingly appearance. And yet, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at our hearts. The Lord is interested in our hearts. The gospel of Jesus captivates our hearts, compelling us to serve others in his name. Has Jesus captivated your heart? Does Jesus have your heart? Jesus warned the Pharisees, warned his listeners, including the Pharisees, recorded in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, saying, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, 
then you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. See, the Pharisees had an external public religion, whereas God calls us to an internal relationship with Him that transforms us from the inside out. Friends, when the King comes, He'll be looking at our hearts. Let's give Him our hearts, for eternity is at stake. Eternity is at stake. The gospel of grace matters because how we respond to the gospel of Jesus impacts our eternity. And this particular teaching of Jesus is in a larger section that is urging others, urging us, Jesus urging His listeners and His readers to prepare for His arrival. Those who are prepared for Jesus by turning to Him for salvation love Him and are compelled to serve His people. Those who love Jesus serve His people. As the Scripture teaches, Jesus teaches those who love Jesus serve His people. So as followers of Jesus, let's serve His people. Let's serve believers. Let's serve Christians. Certainly, let's be advocates for all of the impoverished, but based upon the mission and the commands of Christ, let's not neglect the least of these in God's kingdom. Let's serve other believers. Let's be characterized by compassion as just as God has shown compassion to us. Let's love His people. And because eternity is at stake, church, let's proclaim Jesus. Let's proclaim Jesus. Let's share the gospel. Let's share the good news of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. For the King is coming. One day the King and the Judge will return and He will separate His followers, His people from the rest of the world. Let's join other believers throughout the centuries and around the world in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's serve Christians. Let's proclaim Jesus. And finally, church, let's consider sponsoring a child today. Let's consider sponsoring a child today. For just $38 a month. Sounds like I'm working for compassion. I'm not. I get nothing from this, but I'm sold on their ministry model. They're Christ-centered, child-focused, and church-based. $38 a month. That's out of maybe three tickets to the movie theaters, a decent meal out, a tank of gas, perhaps a private lesson, manicure, pedicure. Don't ask me how I know how much that costs, but somewhere in that neighborhood. Most of us can afford to do that. Most of us can come alongside a ministry like this and churches to extend the gospel of Jesus for compassion is a church thing. This is not a shotgun approach to humanitarian aid. This is equipping and investing and resourcing churches, local evangelical churches to extend their ministry in the name of Jesus to those in their community. And even more than that, the opportunity to disciple a child from abroad through letters, sending scriptures and prayer, investing in them and watching them grow up over the years. No doubt for some, $38 a month perhaps is too much. Well, maybe there's a way to go in with somebody else. In fact, back in college, Ashley and I were dating. We sponsored a child. It was a joint effort. Uh, it was... $35 a month then, believe it or not. Some, contrary to the opinion of some, it was several years ago, back when we were in college. 
inflation has taken effect, but we work together. And every year, Ashley, or every year, every month, Ashley sent me a check for seventeen fifty together, investing in the life of another. William Barclay, I'll leave you with this, well-known Scottish preacher and professor who is now no longer with us. He's with the Lord. He said this. He said, so often because we can do nothing great, we do nothing at all. Well, here is an opportunity, not the only opportunity, but a opportunity to do something great. Something that will make a difference in this life, in the lives of another and their family, and perhaps, perhaps church, even for all eternity. How will we respond? Those who love Jesus serve his people. And Father, we do thank you today for the opportunity of identifying ourselves with you, of knowing you, of worshiping you, of gathering in your name today to declare your praises, to open your word, to declare our faith in you. Lord, lead us now as we respond to you, as we respond to the truths of your word, as we bow before the King of kings and Lord of lords, as we give our hearts to you. Father, would you lead us, guide us by your spirit, that we might respond in the way that most glorifies you. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray and ask these things. Amen.